Father in heaven, thank you for this privilege to be able to join together and talk about something that we believe is of the greatest importance. And so we just pray that you would bless Jamie with discernment, with wisdom, uh, to contextualize what needs to be shared, and that you would just bless her indeed, and that you would bless us with information that we need as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And it's it's great to be able to speak to you guys. So just a, a little bit background about me. I So I have about 12 years of experience in digital strategies. I spent five years at the Baltimore Symphony as their, you know, digital communications manager. And then I went on to the Smithsonian Associates and actually ran their social media and email communication system for about five years before being recruited for the North American division. And I'm actually part of a newer department that started about two years ago at social media and big data. I'm the social media aspect of the department. And so a big part of my job, about 50% of my job is running campaigns for the North American division, special campaigns, working for different departments, helping different conferences and unions to kind of optimize what they're doing. And then the other 50% of what I do is creating resources and training because I firmly believe that the next great awakening is going to be a digital one. We have incredible tools. We can reach the world, but we're just distracted and we're using them for things that don't matter. And so um, we've created a whole resource website and you'll see the URL for that throughout this presentation. It's sdadata.org. Everything there is free. There's videos, there's training courses. We add new content almost weekly when I'm not traveling. Um, One of the we're coming up with a couple of new resources. Actually, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a whole series on YouTube ministries. Um, we actually partnered with Justin Co. for that. And then we're also going to do um, like some guidelines and stuff for search engine optimization on your website. So bulk of our focus has been social media, but we're starting to expand because we understand that there is a great need um, for this type of training and resources in the context of our faith and what we're trying to do for our shared mission. Ultimately, social media is about connecting with others and it speaks to this basic human need to connect and to share. And, you know, relationship is important. I'm going to share some very practical tips for, you know, effectively reaching your audience and maximizing your engagement. Going to talk a little bit about ads and engaging in something that I call member care or community care, how the church can be the voice that answers back because we know people are Googling for God, they're Googling for, you know, their sincerest needs um, and answers. And we we have a place in this. We have a powerful message that needs to get out there. So Social media is a vital tool for accomplishing our mission in the 21st century. And my purpose is to simply empower and equip you to use technology to effectively communicate your message and meet the needs of your community. Already talked a little bit about who I am. So this year, it's estimated that about 33% of the world's population is going to be on social media. Depending on how We respond to this. This is either a huge opportunity or a huge challenge. I believe that, you know, if we commit to be digital disciples and use our digital influence that we have, and it doesn't matter whether you're talking to four people or 45,000 people, you have influence. 
but together we can amplify the three angels message online with a loud voice. And as I said before, the problem is we've just been distracted and using it more for division. So we know there's a great need for resources and training. So hopefully this session will give you powerful resources, helpful resources and get you started on the right track. Again, refer to our website. We have tons of information on there that, and all of that is for you. So just gonna talk about a couple of managing work accounts. Now, some of you might be individuals, you might be doing stuff for the church. Um, maybe some of you do work for like an official ministry or conference. Um, these are just some really good principles. And I, as I told Dee before, I'm gonna send him this presentation and he's gonna make sure it gets shared with everyone and is, is available to everyone. So you'll have this as kind of a checklist. What I do if I, because so much of my world is on social media, I actually have two separate Facebook accounts and work, and I do this with all of my work accounts. They're separate from my personal social media. And that's just to help create that work-life balance because I really believe in guarding the edges of my day and you know making sure there's balance, especially for someone like me whose entire job is online. And for Facebook pages, so if you have an official page for your ministry or your church, it's absolutely necessary that you have more than one person as an admin on that page. And this stems back from when I was actually at the symphony. There was a situation, I believe it was the Colorado Symphony, where they had a gentleman who basically had all the keys and all the passwords for all of the backend API of the website and the CRM and all of the um, basically information tools that they needed to conduct business online. And that man was literally hit by a bus. And so what happened after that, they were locked out of everything and they had to get a company to basically hack in. Um, and for them, that was a lot of financial loss. For us on a church level, it could mean that we lose access to our communication tools if we don't have a backup admin, if something happens to someone. Um, so it's just ideal that you have multiple people with full administrative rights on your page to prevent any kind of lockout or any kind of those situations, because it's really difficult to work with Facebook to regain access. Now, never connect work profiles to private email addresses or even personal work email addresses. This is for like official accounts, whether it's like a church account or um, some kind of ministry or business. What this means is your personal Gmail account should not be how you access those accounts. Um, if you work for an organization that has email servers, you can actually set up something like a dedicated social media address that many people have the access to. So, you know, in the case of the North American division, we have social media at nadadventist.org. Many people have access to that email inbox. So if something were to happen to me or someone else, or we got locked out, IT can actually go in there and regain access to our accounts. So it's just, it's just a safety measure. And then you can connect when you, once you create an email like that, that's just sort of a standard email for your organization, social media accounts. You can connect to things like Twitter and Instagram and Hootsuite to it. And if you want to know some more, we have a um, document 
online and there's a URL that just gives a whole series of best practices and guidelines. You're welcome to take a picture of any of the screens as we go through the presentation. Just a brief thing about copyright laws so we can avoid trouble. These are important, just some highlights. Again, there's more information about this on our website, but um, the thing to remember is just because it's on the internet, it doesn't necessarily mean it's in the public domain, so you can't claim it as your own. Um, it's generally okay to share content that's on social media. That is, of course, the purpose of social media, but we shouldn't share something in such a way that infringes upon somebody else's intellectual property, meaning you write a really great blog post, I copy it onto my website and claim I wrote it and then share it from me. So it's really about making sure that credit is given to where credit is due. Understand that you're giving up some of your ownership rights when you post online. I believe like Instagram, for example, actually owns your images. Um, I've never actually seen them use them, but technically that is written into the terms and conditions. And when you use post, um, when you create posts, make sure you use either public domain, fair use, or purchase stocked images to avoid copyright infringement. And we actually have resources on our website of where you can get free and low cost images that are high quality that I would recommend people look at. And again, we have more resources online. So now what you really came here for is strategy and how can we, you know, take this tool that the devil has used to distract us, to, um, you know, pit us against each other and, and oftentimes, you know, cause depression and cause all these other issues when it's really meant to connect us. And, you know, it's our job as Christians to connect with people and to connect with God. And, you know, this is a powerful resource. And so if you want to get results, you need a well-planned out plan. You need to have a strategy. You need to know why you're on social media and what you're trying to achieve. Because oftentimes, you know, we get on social media and we think, because I need to be on social media. I just need to be. But there's, there's no direction. There's no plan. There's no strategy. You have to set a goal and then work towards those goals instead of just kind of doing it. At, at random, because if you do it at random and you, or you treat social media like an afterthought, it's going to perform like an afterthought. And so, and these principles I'm going to discuss are scalable to any size ministry. And so I hope we, when you walk away from this presentation, you'll just have a basic understanding of framework and strategy. So just a quick outline. The first things you want to, and we'll break this down in coming slides, but the first things you want to do is determine your key performance goals. How are you going to gauge success? You know, first of all, you have to determine what your goal is and then how to measure that goal. Who your audience is. You can't reach everyone um, all the time, so you have to focus and target your messages to a particular audience. What your platforms or your channels are going to be for communication, a timeline, and a budget. And next, you develop a content strategy. What kind of content? What are you going to share online? Um, you know, how are you going to achieve your goal and how are you going to convey your messages? You can create partnerships, um, other ways to just leverage and expand your digital influence. And of course, you know, finally, optimize and manage. You want to make sure that you're tracking and measuring results, even if it's just baseline, big picture numbers. And then managing that engagement because, again, social media is social. 
It's about connection. And we know every year millions of people are Googling for God. They pour out their hearts on social media before they'll talk to a friend. We want to be the voice that answers back when they have questions, when they have spiritual questions, when they have concerns. This is a way that we can really minister to people. We know um, I'm not an evangelist. I'm certainly not, um, you know, an expert in that area, but I spend a lot of time with evangelistic experts. And one of the things they tell me is that friendship evangelism is usually the most powerful form of evangelism. And the way I see social media is it's a way to scale up your friendship evangelism. It's a way to reach more people consistently and to engage with them in a meaningful way where they're comfortable, where there's that sort of anonymity and safe um, and that sense of safety behind social media and online. So why do people use social media? And this is just looking at the top nonprofits. Um, we use it to share news as a church. We have some very good news to share. Increase brand recognition. Who are we? What's our mission? What's our purpose? Educate about a cause. Fundraise, um, which might not be as relevant for us, but recruit volunteers. You know, if you have a community event coming up and you need volunteers, it's a great way to get the word out. Um, recognize donors or recruit employees. Not all of these are relevant for the church all the time, but they are helpful. So... But before you write a single post, it's important to know who you are writing for. Once you decide your target audience, you can then go deeper and you can investigate. You can seek to understand their needs, their interests and perceptions. Um, you know, the things to consider are location, especially if you're a church, it's probably very location specific. You're trying to probably reach people within, you know, five miles um, of your church. You know, you have the age. Are you trying to reach, you might have multiple audiences depending on who you are. You might be trying to reach teens and you might be trying to reach um, singles or millennials and you might be trying to reach, you know, the 55 plus demographic, but decide who they are and decide which approach is the best to communicate to them. Gender, if you're women's ministries or your teen ministries or you're very specific, you want to reach teen boys in the city, um, you know, really think about it. So you can actually almost use this as like a checklist or workbook to write out who your audience is. You know, consider race and language. Um, it, I think we're getting better at it. But when I first joined the North American Division, there are a few campaigns um, you know, particularly for like Pathway to Health in LA, where we really wanted to reach people from all different backgrounds and languages, but we didn't have a campaign strategy for it. So we wanted to reach the, you know, the Spanish speaking community, but none of the posts were in Spanish. Uh, and so that's just something to consider there. Um, interest, you know, what are they interested in? What are their core values? What can you offer that they're seeking essentially? And then, you know, finding ways to minister to you know, some of their basic needs or those longings that, you know, every human has. Adventists, um, when we're speaking, we have to really decide, who, you know, whether or not are we speaking to Adventists or are we speaking to non-Adventists? Because the answer to that question should change the words you use. So if I'm speaking to a non-Adventist friend, I will encourage them to join me on Saturday for worship. I won't necessarily call it Sabbath. Or if I'm doing posts and stuff online and we're trying to reach out to the community and, you know, we're starting a, a prophecy series on Sabbath, 
I'll invite them to join us on Saturday at 4 p.m. for a prophecy series because they're not going to know what Sabbath is. Or even if you're trying to reach evangelicals versus the unchurched, the way you're going to speak is going to be different. And so really think about, um, you know, the language that you should use based on who your audience is and be very specific about it. One tool that I think really helps people really, um, you know, conceptualize this is this idea of creating something called a persona. A persona is a fictional character that communicates the primary characteristics of a group or segment of your audience and takes into their consideration needs, demographics, motivations, and environments. Um, the best personas, honestly, are often created by just getting out there and talking to your audience. We have a lot of assumptions, um, but if we actually spend the time getting to know the kind of people we're trying to reach, it can be very enlightening. Um, you know, and of course, you know, we have social media insights and information and other things that can actually help you shape your persona, but get to know your audience. Really get to know them. Understand what their drivers are. And if you understand what their core values are, what they're seeking, then you can align your ministry to serve them in a more relevant way. And that'll get your content to stand out probably more than anything. To reach your audience, you have to go where they spend their time. So you want to choose a platform that aligns with your target audience. This is just kind of a quick summary of the different platforms. There's more information if you follow the link um, that I've provided there, the short link. But just in general, everyone's on Facebook. It's kind of the new website. Uh, a trend that I highly recommend right now is that your church's website is more evangelistic in nature. It's more outward facing. It's more static. And you use your Facebook as more of a second website that's the more dynamic content where people can go. Your church members are more likely to go to Facebook or social media to check what you're doing than the website. We really don't visit our own websites because we don't need to because we're already a member. Um, so really think about using Facebook as a way to strengthen the community of your church, for example. Twitter skews younger and male. It's really great for live events and um, news and stuff like that. Instagram appeals to an audience under 25 um, if you're trying to reach young people. Snapchat is the second most used platform behind Facebook and it's favored by teens, but it has growing audiences of all demographics. And Pinterest is commonly used by women of all ages and planners. So, you know, depending on who you're trying to reach, you want to know where they're spending their time and where it makes sense for you to spend your time. So you want to fish where the fish are, essentially. So one thing to really keep in mind is you can get overwhelmed by all the possibilities and you can spread yourself too thin. So again, like we were talking about before, decide who your target audience is because you can't reach everyone. Because if you try to reach everyone, you'll end up reaching no one. And that also means decide which key platforms you should be on. Don't try to be on all of them because it'll be very difficult for you to manage. Um, so you want to start with just a few platforms that make sense for your ministry, your available human resources, and your goals. Many of you might be volunteers. So you might only have a few hours a week to spend on something and you might find that Facebook is the most relevant choice or you might, you know, as a church um, communicator, you might spend a lot of your time on Facebook so that we have that digital drive by appeal 
and I'll explain that in a moment. And then you might have your youth and your your youth leader running the Instagram account or your Snapchat account or something for your for the younger generation within your church. Um, you also don't have to do it all. You can also delegate and allow some young people to really grow their skills and minister in a way that they're comfortable with. You know, honestly, I know. Um, you know, I've also heard this from pastors and like seasoned evangelists and stuff that back in the day, we used to talk about drive-by appeal for your church. Like if somebody drove by your church, does it look welcoming? Would people want to, you know, stop and come in? And it's the same with like real estate. Like if they drive by the house, are they interested in the house? Um, it's the same now, except it's in the digital space. So if people search your church or your ministry or your organization online, does the content they find have drive-by appeal? Like, would they want to come and experience your mission, your message in person based on what they're seeing on your social media and what they see on your website? And that's why I think websites really do need to be more outward facing. They need to be evangelistic um, because you're not communicating necessarily to your members, your committed members, you're communicating to the outside world. And then with Facebook, we know that like 2 million or 2 billion searches every month are people search businesses, pages on Facebook before they actually visit the business. They check it out. And so if they visit your church on Facebook, is there content there that shows them, oh, these people are really active. They look really friendly. Like, does your social media have that drive-by appeal that would encourage someone to come and sit in the pews on Sabbath? So we have to really think of it in kind of a holistic way. So, and this takes us to this concept of the rule of seven. Uh, the rule of seven states that a person needs to be exposed to a message at least seven times before they take action. And you can use, you know, multiple touch points. And I always say, you know, digital is not in place of traditional. It's a way to amplify what we're doing. It's a way to scale it up. Um, at a very low cost. So you might have a print messaging, you might have your emails going out, you might have information on your website, you might also be using social media and podium announcements and, you know, just keep reinforcing the message. Um, oftentimes, what I see is that people send out information, but they send it out too late and they send out too little. You have to expect that everybody is just as oversaturated as you by the media. So you have to keep reinforcing your message. You have to have those reminders. You, they have, we know that people have to see something at least seven times. And now it's been estimated in some cases they have to see it even more nowadays before they'll actually remember and take action. So just keep that in mind. You know, if you're, if you're trying to invite someone to an upcoming event, um, you know, maybe forward the email to them, mention it in person, send them a text message, you know, invite them on social media or talk about how excited you are about the event on social media. So we can use this rule of seven in many different ways. And um, we can bridge and, you know, use both traditional and digital to accomplish, you know, this, this reinforced message that we're trying to convey. And this kind of just goes back to that, you know, cutting through the clutter. Um, I, there's a really interesting statistic that says that the average adult is exposed to over 3,000 marketing messages a day. 
but because there's so much we kind of it's in the subconscious we kind of filter it out so again rule of seven like you have to keep reinforcing the message and you have to make sure your message stands out it has to serve their need or pique their curiosity in some way and I actually, I have a whole presentation on how to write for social media, which I talk about, how do you fish? Because, you know, before you start writing your content, you also can look and see what kind of content you should be writing, like what people are searching for. Um, so you can go to, of course, our website and download that presentation. Um, that's a pretty, I'm pretty excited about that one. So in summary, um, Determine your purpose and your goals. Why are you on social media? Who are you trying to reach? And what are you trying to reach them with? What are you trying to accomplish? Um, develop personas so you can empathetically understand your audience, understand what their drivers are. And, you know, if you really understand their needs, that just makes you better equipped to fulfill those needs. Choose the right platforms, channels, Strategize for internal versus external communication. Again, that's like, are you speaking to Adventists? Are you speaking to non-Adventists? Are you speaking to ex-Adventists? Are you speaking to evangelicals? Or are you speaking to the unchurched? Who are you speaking to? And use that integrated approach to cut through the clutter, that rule of seven. So you want to determine your performance metrics. And so this, again, it just ties to your goals. So if you're trying to recruit volunteers, and for an event that you do every year, start early with your communications, reinforce the message, utilize this rule of seven, and then track the number of volunteers you get. And that's, you know, that's a very simple baseline. It's a very simple metric you can use. Same with registration attendance. If you're trying to increase your digital awareness and influence, it could be increased in followers or likes. Could be increased in traffic to your website. Um, you know, it could be an increase in people just talking about what you're doing. There's a lot of different ways to, um, you know, measure your goals, but what you measure kind of depends on what your goals are. For, you know, and this is separate actually for then a um, ongoing content strategy, but if you want to promote an event, like an event or some kind of opportunity, you want to make sure you give it enough lead time. And I see this all the time in the church because we're so overbooked. We have, especially like pastors and church staff, like there's so much going on. And then those of us that are volunteers for our church, we have our work life, we have a personal life, and then we're trying to organize events. Lead time is important. So if you have an event that's in two months, start planting the seeds for the event two months, not the week before. You will, you know, if you want to grow a garden, it's really hard to plant a seed and harvest the next week. So you have to start sowing the seeds. You have to start creating that awareness about the event. And it might take four weeks for the people to get those seven messages, that seven rule of seven, you know, that rule of seven to get them to take action, to sign up or to write in their calendar that they're going to come. So, you know, just make sure that you, you have enough lead time to invite people because it makes a huge amount of difference. In the time I've been at the North American division, we've now taken several annual events and we pushed back the communication schedule. And we've seen huge improvements and results. The, the conferences that I've been promoting for them um, have seen significant increases in registration by simply backing up 
when we start communicating and then communicating consistently and using multiple channels. It makes a huge difference. So if you're just trying to be, you know, you're trying to just improve your own friendship evangelism, the way this could work would be, you know, I can use myself as an example. So every year I actually plan a camping rafting trip in Ohio pile for young adults in the DC metropolitan area. I start, it's in August. I start promoting it in May and we get about 60 and, you know, ultimately about 60 young people come and it's this huge event that we do and it's a lot to manage. But if I'm going to get as many people as possible, I start talking about it in May. I talk to people face to face. I invite them via text. I send out emails to everyone who's gone in the past and I encourage them to invite their friends. So, you know, I utilize that word of mouth and, you know, I reinforce it with, you know, monthly emails and reminders to sign up and register. And I, and I, you know, I have my Facebook event on my personal Facebook page and I encourage people to invite others. And then I post to the event to encourage people to sign up because people will want to go, but they forget to do the forms that I know that they want to go. And so they can get the additional information. So I even use the rule of seven when it comes to personal ministry opportunities. And it's that constant reminder. Um, and when you do that, and when you're very strategic and intentional about doing that, you will increase how many people will actually end up coming or being involved and being blessed. And, you know, year over year, I, you know, it's a lot of work to do, but I, I am blessed by putting it together because just the stories that come back from those who get to come and experience it. And, but that's not possible unless I'm intentional. So uh, just, you know, for those of you doing personal ministries, this is applicable even to you. And this means get organized. You know, I, I talked about before about if you treat social media, if you treat your strategy as an afterthought, it's going to perform like an afterthought. You know, develop a, a calendar. You can download this calendar, actually. I, I make it available to you and you can, you know, alter it for your purposes. If, you if you're lucky enough to have a team, you can share it online with Google Dots with your team and you can, you can strategize together so you're not posting on top of each other. Um, you can schedule your post in advance so you can have that flexibility because sometimes the best times to post, which is usually evening on like social media, isn't the best time for you to be on social media. You should be with your family, but you can schedule those posts. And you can also plan across your multiple platforms at once. You can plan when your email communications are going to go out or when you and the, the personal ministries team are going to, you know, give out flyers, and knock on doors. And you can sort of plan your social media with your traditional content together and see where the different touch points are going to be and be very strategic about it. So like one week you might focus on flyers and then, you know, the next week you're going to send out the email and do a boosted post on Facebook. And so it's just very strategic and intentional. Now, when we talk about content strategies, you want to develop your content strategy and your, and your team to implement it. And this is going to be developed around your goals, what your message is and who your audience is. So once you have those foundations of who your goals are, who, you know, who you're trying to reach, what, why you're trying to reach them, then you develop the content. Once you understand, you know, your audience and what they need, this is where the content comes in. You got to know your voice, you know, but be human and authentic. 
uh, create diversity of content. Some people might be more interested in videos. Others, they just want a quick devotional thought or a quick reminder and share the event or whatever. You know, promote your message and your message in different ways. Don't keep saying the same thing over and over again. Tell it from different perspectives. I also, for many years, was a music teacher on the side. I'm a classical musician. And one of the things that my mentors taught me from a very young age is when you're teaching, learn to say things five different ways until your student gets it. You have to expect when you introduce a new concept, you have to expect to teach it to them at least five times and maybe more like seven nowadays, going back to the rule of seven. And every time you reinforce it and you teach it to them, you reinforce the original way you taught it, but then also reframe it and teach it in a different way and say it in a different way to see what clicks with the student. And so, you know, keep it interesting by telling it from different perspectives. Um, be strategic. Like we talked about before, optimize and adapt. You know, pay attention, see what your audience actually responds to and then create more content like that and, you know, respond to them. And of course, actively engage. You know, if people, you know, if you're promoting a, an event that you're doing, a camp out or something like that, and you post it on your Facebook page and somebody messages you and asks for more details and you don't respond, that's a lost opportunity. And for those of you who are working, you know, in a church setting or a ministry um, setting, the good news is that a great amount of what you produce for your church ministries is content. Um, you know, you have sermons every week, studies for your small groups, blog posts, messages from the pastor, videos and pictures from events. Always look for content that you're already creating and just repackage it into your digital strategy and your overall strategy. It can be rather inexpensive because you're just kind of repurposing what you're using, but it can be time consuming. Um, but think about determining what your valuable content is. It should be something that helps your audience in a tangible way, either emotionally, physically, spiritually, or psychologically. Again, you're trying to meet their needs. Um, you're trying to be relevant. And I always say, like, can you imagine if every church on Sabbath live stream their sermons, we would take over on, you know, the various social media platforms. Combined, we would have a massive digital influence. And so I just encourage you to think about ways that you can expand your influence and leverage what you're already doing. Learn to write for social media. So this link here is that guide I was talking about that goes into in much more in depth into the science and the psychology and philosophy behind, you know, how to reach people online and how to, you know, not only fish where the people are, but also cast the kind of bait that they're looking for. So I highly recommend that you visit the complete guide for writing for social media and download that presentation. Um, but just you know, some quick guidelines. Get to the point and focus your message. Um, you know, try to not write a four paragraph post. Try to keep short, snackable content. Remember, people are getting a lot of stuff thrown at them constantly and we're inundated and we have shorter attention spans. So think snackable, uh, you know, really distill it down to what the point is, something that they can chew on. Less is more, uh, include a call to action. And a call to action could be simply visit our website, read, 
you know, like and share with your friends, just ask them to do something. Because we, we know statistically that if you ask them to do something, they're 60% more likely to actually do something. It's all you have to do is ask. And that also includes include a link. It drives me crazy when I see these posts that are like, we're ready, we're launched, register today. Okay, where? Provide the link, you know, make it easy for them. Because again, we're dealing with busy people who have a lot going on. They don't want to have to, you know, try and search on Google to find your content, like make it easy for them. I almost include a link in every post I put up. Use the language of the platform, tag relevant accounts, and of course use relevant hashtags. And there's more information about that on our website. Also choose good photos. Um, you know, not like bad blurry photos or really dated photos. I mean, one of the issues I see with the church is we use a lot of imagery that's very dated, that it, that it just looks old and just doesn't look, have that modern, fresh, you know, relevant look, you know, be sensitive to what people are actually looking for and what will appeal to them. Um, you know, keep it visual, less text is more. We live in a highly visual society. Um, images really do you know, tell, tell a thousand words. Um, so really be careful with what kind of images you use. Um, there's, you know, you can take your own, you can use stock images. And the resource down in the footer of this slide is where we've actually compiled a list of really good stock imagery resources that are either very cheap, like a dollar an image, or free. Um, People respond if you invoke an emotional response or tell a story. People are captivated by stories. People are attracted to bright colors and group shots. We are social by nature. Keep a consistent look, brand, and color palette if you're sort of like a church or a ministry or something like that. Be creative and use contrast to help your image stand out and just, but also keep it simple. Um, you know, again, we live in a very cluttered, noisy environment. You know, just clean, fresh, compelling images will really help attract people to your message. Take a drink. <laughs> so this brings me to what is often referred to as the 80-20 rule. And um, there's another 80-20 rule, and that says that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I think most of us that work for the church know that that's true. Uh, you know, there's a lot of very hardworking people um, in all walks of life. But this 80-20 rule is actually about viewing social media as a conversation. So we all, we're so tired of marketing. We're so oversaturated. It's so when you have someone that's like, you know, join us, join us, join us, or bye, bye, bye. Like it's just, you know, all these like hard sells all the time. If you really want people to be interested in what you're offering, you would not hard sell them. So like if you have a ministry or even an event that you're working on and you're really excited about and you got together at Potluck, you're not going to hard sell people on it face to face. So remember, social media should be conversational. It's like you're talking to a friend. Um, you know, if you're talking to a friend, you're going to talk about what your goals are with your ministry and why you're excited and what your ambitions are and why you think it's important and, you know, what you have planned and why you think it matters and how, you know, God is impacting you. You make it very human. Well, the same is true for social media. 
just be authentic, transparent, and human. Create that value in your content. Tell them why it's important. Why does it matter? Why does it matter to you? Make it personal. And they'll be much more invested. Make partnerships where you can. If you're working with other organizations or other people, ask them to also share about it and talk about it. This will just help magnify your, you know, your digital influence and the awareness of whatever it is that you're doing. And, you know, we know that people trust referrals from a human being, a friend, someone they know over a brand anyway. And this is just an idea of, you know, who you can work with. Make sure your partnerships are mutually beneficial. So if you ask someone to share, make sure you're willing to share for them as well. If you're more of a, a, an organization or a brand and you're doing a specific event, you can create something that I call a promotions packet. This just makes it super easy. You know, usually social media managers, communication managers, we wear many hats and we're stretched pretty thin. So all this is, is just a Word doc with pre-made social media posts and images that they can copy and share. It just makes it easy for them. So instead of them trying to write about your mission or your message, you give them the words that they can use, they can adapt it, but it just makes it easy and it helps you to control and to keep a consistent message. Again, you can download information and example if you follow that link at the bottom. There's also this idea of a pod. You can create a pod and it would be my dream that every church was a pod. And you're probably asking, what's a pod? Um, a pod is, it comes from the term of like a dolphin pod. So dolphins, you know, swim in these pods of collaboration and they, they work collectively as a community for protection, for hunting advantages, all that kind of stuff. So same thing on social media. A pod is basically a group of pages and contents and people who agree to engage and share the content. So and how this could work with a church is that if you train your church members to visit your Facebook page once a week and engage, like, or share any of the content, that's a free and easy way to expand your reach and your influence. But it's also a way for them to get involved in a very easy way of ministry. So, you know, if they share a thought from the official Facebook page once a week, they might not feel that comfortable in the digital space. But if they're sharing content in their news feeds, it's going to go to their friends. And it's a very, you know, easy barrier to entry for those that are on social media to be involved and become a digital discipleship is just simply by sharing spiritual content. And the way I, you know, would like to see this ultimately happen is that the churches are divided into content creators, distributors, and engagers. And, and, you know, this really, I think, starts with empowering the tech savvy and the young members of your church. You know, until, you know, even like a few years ago, I felt like there wasn't a place for me and the church and people with my types of skill sets. I think that's changing, but we need to do more, like make them feel that the church values their times and talents because we need those times and talents right now. Like We need it. 
And so you, you can form a team of content creators. You most likely have various church members who could specialize in certain areas. So especially young people, they can share for your Pathfinders Club and all kinds of stuff. They can, they can really drive that. And it's a ministry training tool for them. Um, you know, and it can also be a powerful personal ministry opportunity for those people who are very empathetic and they want to answer, you know, your inbox and your messages and they want to kind of facilitate conversations online. Um, you can determine ways to engage in what I call digital door knocking uh, by meeting the needs of people within your community in a digital space or around a digital tool. So this means you could create content that's specifically helpful for the people in your local community, or you can you know, provide opportunities to help people. I know a lot of churches do ESL training courses. Maybe your church can also do um, digital tools training courses for those who just like elderly who just want to learn how to use their iPad. That's a form of digital door knocking that shows you care. Um, you can also, you know, post your upcoming community events on Facebook and train your members to share and invite their friends and neighbors to events automatically. So you can create this culture of sharing and content engagement again, so they can all be digital disciples. Um, and it just helps the church's mission. It helps expand the message because literally anybody who's on social media can share your content. They can like your content and they can share it to their news feeds and friends, and you can set up like training events for your church members who are willing to do this. And probably, you know, people are always interested in, you know, sort of, you know, um, looking up to people and people setting the example. So you can be your own social media ambassador for your congregation. We each have a network of followers. We each have an influence and what we do with that influence matters. So how we speak to people online matters because people know we work for the church. And so we might be the only representative of the church and by extension, God that they see. And so the way we use our digital influence matters, but we can also be like the face behind a ministry or a cause. We can be the human aspect of it that people trust. Um, you know, we're not working in a silo, empower your team, show them what you're doing. And, you know, it can be very powerful. Like I've even find that, found this with my own personal church. I've started sharing events and encouraging other people to share events. And then they all start doing it too. And it started out what I was just doing it. And then the other church members saw, and then now we have like 10 or 15 other people who share events. And it all starts with me sharing an event and they're like, Oh, I should do that too. And it just, you're setting the example and you're creating a culture of sharing and inviting um, and, you know, to see where it goes. Uh, one thing I have found that is Adventists really are good at sharing. If you, if you just kind of activate that power that we have. Now, this is something that has become, you know, a burden on my heart. And I have a blog article linked down there that you guys can refer to. But it's this idea of member care, people care, community care. Um, so member doesn't necessarily mean church member. Um, it's just a way to meet people's needs. Because simply having a social media presence is not enough anymore. Your audience expects a response when they engage with you. And often within a few hours... Every opportunity to connect is an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. So let's not waste our digital influence. 
Social media provides a unique opportunity for long-term member care that can serve to enhance the relationships that you're cultivating with your members as well as the community that your ministry serves. It's a customer service tool. And you can really, you know, you can create a reputation online as a ministry, as an organization that truly cares about the people it serves. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. And I, I've, I've mentioned this a little bit before. People are literally Googling for God or they're looking for content related to our mission, related to our message. They might not know it, but they are. There are millions of Google searches every year for things like, is God real? What happens when we die? How do I know I'm saved? Why is there so much suffering in the world? And the list goes on. And oftentimes, you know, it takes the death of a celebrity or two, like, you know, in recent weeks, for people to even kind of wake up and realize, you know, people are willing to pour out their hearts on Google and search for their answers. Like we've, we've, we've become a very detached society. We can't talk to our friend, but we'll talk to a stranger online because there's that sense of anonymity. Um, and people are searching for companionship online. They're searching for understanding. They're searching for information. And it's just easier for them to speak online than it is in person. So there is a great need for the kind of content that we can provide. So I think it's time for us to step into that arena. We know that at any given time, between 22 and 28% of people are in crisis. You know, this could be loss of life, depression, anxiety, um, job insecurity, food insecurity, illness, any multitude of things. That amounts to 80 plus million people online. You know, 80, you know, 80 plus million people in the U.S. and Canada. You have to forgive me. It's like seven in the morning where I am. So um, they're searching for answers online. You know, when it comes, we have a powerful health message. There are millions of health questions being searched online every single day. And we have, you know, this powerful information on longevity and health and lifestyle we can use digital communications to really push out that information and put good content out there for people to find. There's just so much that we have to offer. Um, but unfortunately, we spend a lot of time talking to ourselves. There are two areas online um, that people search for primarily alone, and that is religion and pornography. Um, both of those are really ultimately about connection. So this, again, we can fulfill these needs. We can put good content out there to help people that are searching. You know, not everybody is ready to come to church and not everybody is even willing to discuss their issues with someone in person. But again, we as the church, as the church bodies, as the hands of Christ, we can be the voice that answers back. And I, I just can't stress that enough. Like there's so many, like there's so many pages where people will, I'm floored by the kind of things that people were message. We have all these different ministries now, like Gorgeous to God, which is geared towards teen girls that what they are willing to share online with you is shocking, but they have no one else to talk to. And I, I am so glad that we have this ministry because the messages that come in are heartbreaking 
And these are teen girls. They have no one they feel like they can talk to. They're afraid of being judged. And yet now we're serving them. We're answering them back. You know, we have counselors and trained people who know how to, who know how to speak to them. And we're ministering to them in a very real and relevant way because it's addressing the things that they're searching for. So and the thing to keep in mind, you know, we know that, as I said before, evangelism, the best evangelism is based on relationships. Um, but our identity online has to go beyond how much we know and the message we have to, we want to share. And it has to be based on how much we care if we're serious about digital evangelism. And this is, you know, it's a brand and, you know, it's weird to think about what we do is like branding or marketing, but it really is what we're doing. When we're communicating the gospel, we have a brand, we have an identity as the Adventist church and we have a marketing you know, strategy and that marketing strategy is evangelism and that can take many different forms. And our brand is based entirely on a person's experience. The way we view brands is based on our experience with that brand. And so that's why we really have to be very cognizant of how people view the Adventist brand. We still know that, you know, word of mouth is always going to be the most powerful word uh, form of communication. And you, social media is an extension of your church brand and voice online. It is what can start that word of mouth going. And your brand is how your church is perceived. Strong digital brands create a connection and take a comprehensive approach to member experience. You want to treat your members online as though you're talking to them face to face. Again, like you're speaking to a friend and that you truly care about them. Their online interactions with you should make them want to experience your faith and your mission in person. And then you have to have a strategy for when they come in person. So when they come for that onsite experience, when they walk into the doors of your church, it should be a continuation of the positive relationship you've built with them online. This applies also in reverse. People come to your church, they have a great experience. They go home, they're not really sure who to talk to. They weren't sure, you know, so they, they send you a Facebook message. They don't get a response. You've broken that connection. You, you've damaged your brand with them. And so suddenly they don't think, oh, they don't really care about me. So we have to really be mindful of all those touch points and how we're serving people. Because how your online followers perceive your ministry influence their perception of not only the Adventist church corporately, but God. So even if you haven't put any effort into creating or managing your brand, in the absence of your story, your audience will fill in the gaps themselves. And your digital voice may be the only opportunity your followers have to see Christ's love demonstrated in their lives. So. So what this means is be available, respond, listen, learn, be empathetic. Always frame your responses with the salvation of others in mind first. Focus on building your relationships. And of course, if you're having a live event and people might be engaging with you online or there might be a customer service issue or somebody has a question, make sure you have that live event strategy so that you're connected and you can respond. Our brand is something that we must guard 24-7, so be prepared to resolve and manage problems quickly. 
We know that young people especially are more likely to um, express displeasure online than any other um, group. So we have to have this mindset of online customer service that we can address those needs, that we can say that we hear you and do that in a timely fashion. We created a response assessment guide for you to help with that. But this isn't just about the negative, it's also about the positive. We need to be prepared to respond to positive comments. Social media is about building relationships in the community. So ignoring the positive is actually a lost opportunity to, to connect. So think about it this way. If you view social media as an in-person conversation, if somebody goes up to you in church and confesses that they're struggling with depression after the loss of their husband, would you stare blankly at them and never respond? No, you'd respond. The same is true if somebody pours out their heart to you on social media, respond and be very mindful of how you respond. So I understand that we have about 15 minutes left. I can talk a little bit about boosted posts and stuff like that, or we can just go to questions. What do you guys think? What is your preference? Would you like to open up for questions on practical things, or would you like for her to go into the topic of how to do boosted posts uh, to kind of increase your awareness? How many people are in a category where they're administrating a Facebook page for a church or for a ministry and would like to have that information? We have access to get it to you if you can't do it now. You can still get it later. Um, yeah. So we have one individual. Um, okay. I will make sure we get your resources to know how to do it then afterwards. And then maybe we can open up for practical questions that you guys may have and maybe any other practical information that she may have. Yes. Well, she, she hit on this just briefly one or two slides ago, um, she's emphasizing a lot about responding when you're online. Um, I haven't opened an online account yet because I'm a little timid. I've been watching other people's, and there's a lot of response about the haters and the negative comments. And it seems as I watch other people pose, that the, the excessive amount of response tends to be negative. So how, how do, you, do you deal with that both yourself? I mean, okay, go to prayer, all of that. You know, right. Not speaking in bumper stickers. How do you deal with the haters? That's a great question. Jamie's actually made a resource for that too. There's kind of like this filtration. It's like a wire chart. There's kind of a filtration to kind of yeah. tell you, like, how do I respond yeah. to this? Can you pull that it's up? the response guide. It's actually, hold on. It's right there. I only heard part of her question. Can you rephrase? Um, she said that. But this, yeah. real, this URL right here is actually like a wire chart. Okay, this thing right here, if they go to this link, if you write this down, this is actually a web link. Can you see these bitlies? It's actually a web link. If you write it exactly as it's written into your search bar, you can get it there. Um, her question was that she hasn't opened an account yet, but is thinking about it, but what she is seeing is that most of people are talking about negative, critical communication and knowing how to handle it. Um, and so maybe mm -hmm. you could give us some principles on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the big thing to remember is, you know, I feel like negative communication falls into two categories. Some is reasonable and you can address it and it should be addressed. And then some of it is just people being nasty, they're trolls. And this wire chart we put together is to kind of help you decide, okay, is this something I respond to or is this something I ignore, hide, or block? 
Um, not everybody can be reasoned with online. And honestly, it's not the best place to try. This is why we shouldn't talk about politics, why we shouldn't talk about certain things online, because it strips away that nonverbal communication. 93% of our, it's generally accepted that 93% of our communication is nonverbal. And so when we're typing online, it automatically puts people on the defensive. They think they're being attacked. And, but also some people just like the troll. Like I actually have a troll and I can't unfriend him. So I just don't talk to him um, because of, you know, Adventist culture reasons. He has to stay in my friend group, but um, I just don't respond to him. And, you know, ever, I just, sometimes no response is the best response because it kind of gets people to think about what they just said. And, you know, sometimes people just want to be a provocateur. And so it's really good to kind of gain that discernment between someone who's a troll, someone who's a rager, you can't reason with them. You know, if someone's commenting on your page and you're not sure, go to their Facebook page or go to their Twitter feed and see what kind of content they're generally posting. If it's all hateful, if it's all negative, if it's all antagonistic, don't bother. You're not going to change their mind. I know when it comes to politics, they did, um, I think the marketing firm Rantic did a massive study and they found that overwhelmingly, it didn't matter whether you were independent, didn't matter whether you were conservative, didn't matter if you were liberal. And, and actually, it was more so if you were liberal that you, it is unlikely 80% of people, 85% of people will not change their mind on a political situation based on a Facebook post or a social media post. In fact, it, you know, it almost becomes like a, a confirmation bias, like they'll repel more. And so you're not going to change anybody's mind via social media. What you can do is you can catch the fish who are looking. And so when someone's a rager, when they're, when, when they're overtly negative, um, they, it's not going, you're not going to change your mind that way. So don't try to reason with them. And if someone's hostile to you, if they're being abusive to you or, you know, abusive on your page and saying things that are wrong or mean or whatever, just block them. Just block them. Because you're not going to change your mind. You're not going to reason with them. But now let's talk about the kind of negative comments you should respond to. Sometimes it's just misinformation. And you can turn a negative into a positive. You can talk with this person and say, you know, I'm really sorry that you you feel this way. And I always check, click on their page and I check to make sure that they're not like a rager or something like that, because some people will try and trick you and, you know, stuff like that. So I'll, I'll check them out first and then I'll start to engage. And I usually start with empathy. And I say, you know, I'm really sorry this happened. Can you tell me a little bit more? Uh, or I'm sorry you feel that way. You know, this is this is what happened. You know, I'm, I'm sorry you got that impression. You know, try and correct them if they're wrong, but in a loving, empathetic way and trying to understand where they got this information or this impression. If it's like a customer service issue, you know, like we found out when we were doing Hope Trending, it was one of the first campaigns I did a couple of years ago. There was somebody who complained on social media that they were asked to leave because their baby was crying in the back of the audience during the taping and they felt real dejected. And that wasn't our policy at all. We didn't know that happened. The, the, the usher had asked them to leave and the usher should not have done that. And so I was able to turn a negative into a positive 
because I connected with her. I immediately apologized and I said, I am so sorry. I'm going to reach out to the ushers or whatever and find out what's going on. I reached out to my contact at um, PMC. We talked about it. They had a meeting with the ushers. We invited her back. She came back and she, you know, she wrote me a follow-up message later. She's like, thank you. Like I was feeling like, you know, you know, there's so many places that, you know, young mothers and stuff get the side eye whenever we show up. And it was really nice to see that my church, you know, that was not your policy for us to be kicked out, that this was just one person. And so you can turn a negative into the positive. And sometimes, and this really takes discernment, and I think it takes experience, but sometimes the people that respond negatively on spiritual messages and stuff like that, they're hurt. And one of the other campaigns that we've worked on, I Believe Bible, there was a message that I remember. And the, the young man who runs sort of the member care aspect of I Believe Bible had been engaging with this person. And the person's final response to them was, you know, I'm an atheist. Ultimately, I don't agree. But honestly, this is the first time I have ever felt heard by a Christian and that my opinion was respected and that I was valued as a human being. And that speaks volumes to how we treat others online. Like I want everybody who disagrees with us to still like us. And so when you have those negative comments, it's, you know, it takes practice. I think it takes discernment, but it takes a huge amount of empathy. Um, but try and turn the negatives into a positive. You might not change their mind, but if you can give them a good experience with someone from the church, you might plant a seed. I hope that helps. Yeah. Well, there's another dimension to it, but I don't want to take up all the time. Yeah, let me open to other questions and then we'll, we'll see. Uh, any other questions you guys may have on practice? Okay, nice and loud, super loud, because she's on the microphone. Yeah, I was just wondering if uh, if you could maybe suggest what are some of the best ways to get views, um, like on Facebook or on YouTube. Did you catch that, Jamie? I know. Okay, yeah. Some <laughs> some of the best ways to get views and responses on social media for videos and posts. Oh yeah. So, you know, create content that's highly shareable for videos. 90% of the videos are watched on silent. So make sure you have closed captionings. If Facebook makes it easy to ask, you know, to, um, to have that closed captioning. Also with Facebook, make sure your videos are what we call natively hosted. So you're not linking to a YouTube video. You're actually uploading the video directly to Facebook because Facebook actively suppresses outside video platforms. It wants you to use its platform. So if you upload directly to Facebook, if you use live video, you're going to automatically get more views, but make sure you have the closed captionings for, you know, if you, if you have a page, it's very easy to add those closed captionings. The other thing is I see this all the time where people will post a video and it's just a video. There's no teaser sentence. I don't know what it's about. Why should I watch it? So make sure you, going back to that writing guide for social media, pique their interest. 
you know, say what is the video is about and why I should watch. What, I mean, people engage with content online because oftentimes, or they share content online because they think it's going to make somebody else's life better. It's one of the top, 95% of people say they share content online to improve the lives of others. So how is this video going to answer that nagging question? How is this video going to fulfill your need? How is this video going to make your life easier or better? You know, basically, what are they going to get out of the video? And that'll help also increase your views. But again, if you download that writing guide, we actually, and we have a whole bunch of resources on our website for videos as well, but keep it short, keep it to the point, make it relevant and, you know, download the guide because it actually talks about how you can find topics that people are actually looking for. And then for, you know, I suggest if you have a YouTube page, upload to both YouTube and your social media separately. YouTube is great because you can add keywords and all kinds of stuff that'll make it more searchable in, in the, you know, Google search engines and, and stuff like that. So, you know, find ways to speak the content that'll help improve people's lives, but make it clear how it's going to improve those lives. She, she just answered this question by saying, Make sure your Facebook is not linked to your YouTube. Yeah, I, I'll answer that. I'm actually dealing with that tomorrow. But the, the oh. Facebook actively suppresses videos that aren't distributed by Facebook itself. So, for instance, when you make a video on YouTube, by doing so, you can get a link that you can email someone or post that will take <laughs> yeah. you directly to that video. But on Facebook, if you put a YouTube link in your post, Facebook literally hides those videos. They make them less mm -hmm. visible. And so the algorithms they have for how they've set up Facebook, they suppress those because YouTube is a competitor. So the best mm -hmm. way to get more views is to upload the video directly to Facebook and directly to YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. That's the way that they operate. So it's, it's unfortunate, frustrating, petty, and ridiculous. But that's just the nature of the game. Um, and even just by you having a Facebook page for your church, for a ministry or whatever, Facebook actually suppresses your viewership just by having one. Um, the way that you get increased views, even though you have people that follow you, there's a percentage of people that follow you that actually will see those posts that you make on a daily basis, mm -hmm. unless you pay to play. Um, you pay, yeah. and that's the boosting thing that she's talking about. You have to actually have to increase your awareness. Or, this is why it's important, she mentioned, to have people who are your church members and others Actively go to your page and share from your page. And once Facebook recognizes that people are responding to this, then it makes mm -hmm. it more visible. And that's your backdoor way to get it. Um, yeah, one thing, and that's why you want to make your content highly shareable. So less than 10% of your fan base will actually see your boost, your post in your news feeds, unless you create something that's highly shareable. And you also, it's play to play. So you want to boost just a little bit to at least your own fans, and that will improve your viewership and stuff because it'll get served to their news feeds and you don't have to spend a lot of money like a small ministry can spend a couple hundred dollars a year and that would serve you well um but it's you know facebook ultimately has this i think i have a slide in here um no maybe, maybe it's not in this presentation but there's this idea of facebook zero and the goal is that facebook is a business it needs to make money so it wants pages to pay for your digital influence, but you don't have to pay a lot. And so that's good. So if you have a video that you really want people to watch, boost it for five or 10 bucks to your fans and maybe you know some people strategically local 
and that'll improve also improve your viewership. So that's just kind of the nature of the beast there, unfortunately. Um, any other questions? Good questions that we've had. Maybe one more? Okay. She's asking, what's the best time of day to post on Facebook? Depends. And, and it depends on your Facebook channel. So there's actually, um, there are industry standards. And so typically, I think between 3 and like 6 or 7 p.m. is the best time to post on Facebook. But that's them looking all across the whole industry. I have found that Adventists don't necessarily quite fit into those categories. So this is where it's really good to go into your pages insights tab. And there's on the left hand um, navigation bar, there's a, there's a tab called posts. Click on post and it shows your visitations, your traffic, your audience by day, and by week. So you can see if you click on like Monday, it'll show you the curve of when people are visiting your page. So if you're like, well, I want to post every Monday something for Monday motivational, you can go to post in your insights tab and you can see when people are actually visiting the page. And I have found that Adventists are online in the morning and they're looking at content. So we should put out devotional content. And actually the top days for Adventists on social media from what I've seen, and I have access to probably about 50 or 60 pages for Adventism is like Friday and Saturday, we're online. So it's a really good time to post content and spiritual messages and stuff like that. But it has to be, you have to become an expert on your audience. Like I can't sit here and say when the best time for you to post on Facebook is. You have to look at your data. You have to look at that tab. Facebook makes it really easy for you to find the information. Just go in there, look and see when your audience is online. And what I do is there tends to be this little like, it tends to go kind of like a sine curve where you get, it goes up and then it'll go down. And what I do is before the peak, when it peaks for the day, I usually schedule post about two hours before the peak because then you get the whole upswing and then the higher downswing. So it's, it's, that's usually when I schedule. Cool. Great question. Uh, well, in a summation question, has this been helpful just to kind of give some practical back-end information on how these things are. It's more complicated than maybe people would think. And uh, the best way you learn is by getting dirty and trying. And the people mm -hmm. who succeed, it's just like entrepreneurship. You succeed by failing. Um, and you learn from your lessons and you, you adjust accordingly. So um, find out what people are actually responding to and do what they're looking for. That's kind of the way you, you really have to work. But um, there are best practices. There are lessons that we can piece together. And that's kind of what Jamie has been doing is assembling as much information as possible from within our faith and from society in general to kind of give us a head start so that you don't have to start from scratch. And the website they have, sdadata.org, yeah, is absolutely chock full of free resources for your church to use, for you to use, and it's one of the best resources we have in the Seventh-day Adventist Church period on digital resources. So it would be wise to do that. Um, at DigiEvangelism is where you can find them on any social media handles, uh, whether yep. it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And then the actual website, again, is sdadata.org. Um, yep, it's in the bottom of this slide, yeah. if they can see it. On the bottom right, so the handle there is at DigiEvangelism. That's what their Facebook page would be, or Twitter, Instagram, and then the actual website there. Um, Jamie, thank you so much for being willing to donate some of your Canadian morning to us. Um, 
And yeah, it's, it's really good for me to hear this again and be reminded of some of these. And uh, I'm glad that the church was smart enough to hire you. So, um, if there me are... too. And actually, D, as a side note, you should download the writing guide for social media. I think you would find it fascinating. It's a mix of psychology and you know science, but it's also a little bit of art and philosophy. It's it's basically how I write for social media, and it's been in my brain because I'm always reading psychology books and you know just studying how humans behave and it's just it just breaks it down for audiences and stuff and I think you would actually find it really interesting because um, it's also it takes advantage of a lot of crowd mentality yeah. and then what, one thing I would say too is like you know if you you can email me you can message me directly on Facebook I'm pretty responsive I do you know guard the edges of my day I don't check at night evening or like the weekends but during the work week I, I will respond very quickly um, I treat it like email so if you have questions check out the website if there's some there should be something there that will help you if you're not sure shoot me a message and i'll tell and ask your question and i'll refer you to certain links or i'll create a resource you know if it's needed but ultimately a lot of what i do everything i do you can google and you can learn but what i'm doing is i'm kind of curating the most relevant content for the church and i'm translating it because what i figured out very early is i can't say marketing i have to exchange the word marketing for evangelism or awareness. And so I, I'm taking a lot of this knowledge that I learned outside the church and I'm just translating it for my audience, which is you. I'm speaking the language that makes sense for you. Cool. Will, thank you for your time, Jamie. And uh, we'll close in prayer and then we'll let you resume your morning. Yeah. Father in heaven, just thank you again for this privilege to be able to worship you, to gather some tools today and some strategies and some philosophies that will better enable us to take the publishing work forward in this new area. So just bless each person who's here and each person who will listen to it later uh, to have practical tools they will need uh, to be better mission-minded, digitally present members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Bless Jamie and her responsibilities for the rest of this day and bless us, Lord, uh, with our responsibilities here. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.